Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. I'm coming to you from the Baseball America podcast nook. Aaron's on the East Coast this week. Aaron, every week it's a different spot for you and me on this podcast now. Yeah, it's, it seems like it. It's uh, We've just been crisscrossing this country, haven't we? We're traveling fools, and uh, maybe just fools, but uh, we're traveling fools, that's for sure. I want to remind everybody that we have our new BaseballAmerica.com, if you haven't already noticed it. Completely redesigned, relaunched. The BaseballAmerica.com slash college link still works. All of our college stuff is there. Uh, what used to be called the college blog is on there. What used to be the on-campus stuff, it's all on there. Just Baseball America slash college. And I think if you play with the tags at the new BaseballAmerica.com, you will enjoy the fact that there's a lot of college archives. If you just do the slash BaseballAmerica.com slash T slash college, anything that's been uh, tagged, uh, on campus, the slash T, the tags is very important to, with the new BaseballAmerica.com. And Aaron, uh, it's made your life a little bit easier. It feels like um, just editing and updating the website, right? Yeah, it's going to be a good thing, I think, for all of us. And um, lo- looking forward to to seeing some of the possibilities with this new site. Well, I think uh, I think we all are. I think it's going to be exciting going forward for us. And uh, let's let's go backwards real quick and talk a little bit about uh, college baseball this weekend. Aaron, uh, one of the things that you did this uh, last week was you were in a couple SEC locales, then you went up to Indiana, and first of all, you got to see college baseball in March in the snow, and uh, being a cha- the challenge that it is, and uh, you know what those kind of what those schools have to deal with from a logistical standpoint, and, and yet you saw two top 25 teams in Indiana and uh, Louisville. And let's talk about the Cardinal first of all, because a pretty eventful week for Louisville. Where they lose a series last weekend to Rutgers. We moved them down the rankings. They lose a midweek game to Indiana, and then Aaron, uh, you get to see uh, you know how good Indiana was. You also got to see uh, Louisville coach Dan McDonald really lay into his ball club, and they really responded this weekend with a sweep of another top 25 team in, in Notre Dame yeah. to get back on track in uh, conference play. Talk a little bit about the what you saw in Louisville, and then uh, what they did better to, to bounce back yeah. from that and, and sweep the Irish. You know, one of the things that struck me, um, you know, and I could hear some of what, what Coach McDonald was telling to his team in that post-game huddle, because um, the music was cut off and, you know, his voice was carrying. Uh, and he was saying, look, you know, where's your swagger? You know, that, that's one of the things that, that it felt like had been missing, I guess, for the, the, that previous week. Uh, and they looked very flat against Indiana. And, and you know, I kind of had a feeling that they were gonna that they were gonna bounce back from that and that they were gonna play with a little chip on their shoulder this weekend against Notre Dame and and I think that's what happened I mean they played up to their their capability um, you know that's certainly a, a quality Notre Dame club that's a really, really good sweep um, for Louisville and look that team is is they're they're very good I mean Louisville you know they they can they, they got so much speed I think it's a it's a real asset for them that they can really disrupt you and you know I saw it even even in that game against Indiana. You know, Adam Engel gets on base, and he just makes things happen. He steals second base, he'll steal third base. Um, you know, they'll, they'll get him in on a, on a sack fly. I mean, he'll 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 just drive pitchers crazy. And I, you know, I saw him, him kind of create box because people are just worried about him over there. Um, and and you know, Cole Sturgeon does that, and they've just got speed up and down the lineup, and they've got a lot of depth. Um, you know, and and they didn't play well, like I said, the day I saw them. But I still saw, you know, why why they're good. I mean, they've got a lot of pitching 
depth. I mean, um, you know, the the arms that they threw out there were quality arms, um, and they just had a little bit of a lull, and now they're out of it. So not surprised Louisville bounced back, uh, had a very good weekend, and, and not surprised that Indiana keeps rolling because Indiana is legit, John. I mean, those guys are that's, – that's a really good college lineup. I want to talk to you a little bit more about Indiana in a minute, but uh, I had a good Twitter question that I thought I'd throw out. Uh, that I thought that Louisville was the right place to throw this question out. It's uh, our, our friends at, at VU Hawk Talk. It's a Vanderbilt fan uh, who uh, blogs and tweets about the Commodores. Uh, asked, uh, can, you do, can we discuss the top closers so far in the NCAA this season? And he throws in Brian Miller of the Commodores as one of those suggestions. I think there's a lot of good closers out there in college baseball area and a lot of teams that are built bullpen forward. But I don't think there's anybody who – I think – am I correct in saying that it's Nick Birdie and then everybody else when you consider the fact that this well, guy has uh, 41 outs that he's recorded and 32 of them have been via strikeout? That's pretty insane, isn't it? I mean, He's the, insane. The, he's, got, he's got really good numbers to go along with. He certainly has got the most electric fastball out there. I mean, it's it's crazy. He hasn't given up a run yet. He's only pitched 14 that you look at. Um, but but in those 14 innings, he's got 32 strikeouts. I mean, it's utter domination right there, you know. But but I think I think you could make a case for Brian Miller, you know. I mean, he's he's uh, uh, partly because he you know he's worked 28 innings. I mean, he's he's only got he's only given up one earned run. He's got a 0.33 ERA, and he's worked more than twice as many innings. Um, so, you know, there's value in that. I mean, that's a guy with a resilient arm who can go multiple innings, um, you know, and he's a lower slot guy with a, with a, you know, some firmness and, and life on that fastball. It'll be 88 to 90, 91 maybe. And, 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 you know, kind of a sweeping slider that, uh, uh, like a Frisbee slider that really eats up, uh, you know, left-handed hitters. And, and he's, he's, he's good. He's really good. He's had a great year. You could certainly make a case for him being the most effective closer out there right now. That's a, that's a pretty good list. That's a pretty good place to start. And, you know, uh, you talk about low slot guys. I mean, Dave Berg certainly kind of fills that same role. I know he hasn't, yeah. doesn't have as many saves, but the innings pitched are very similar. To me, Berg and Miller, it's kind of hard to separate those two guys. They've, they've had very similar seasons um, as far as closers go. Um, but Louisville, I mean, you, you have to get a lead to get to your closer. And those two teams, Vanderbilt moving back up to number two this week with uh, Oregon State's. Uh, loss uh, in a series loss to San Diego. Uh, but Indiana is a team, Aaron, you mentioned them. I want to get to them. Indiana is a team that just seems like it has uh, no problem getting leads. <laughs> it's a very good offensive team, and you saw them in yeah. person. You saw the ballpark. Uh, just give us a little bit of – and then, of course, Indiana went out and uh, beat Louisville, and they sweep Iowa. They're 22 and 3. What's their uh, winning streak? 15 games right now. 15, 15 straight. Yeah. Talk a little bit about though. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Indiana, but what makes them tick and what makes them so good uh, offensively this year? Well, they're just loaded, you know. And yes, it starts with with Kyle Schwarber and Sam Travis, those kind of physical power hitting sophomores. But you know, I mean, you got Scott Donnelly in there, and, and you've got Dustin Demuth, who's both those guys are older players with with again some more physicality, and Demuth can really run as well. Michael Basil, the shortstop senior guy, you know, I mean, all these guys have been around. They've got veterans um, in the, all over the place in this lineup. You know, it's it's an older older team, and they've got more pitching depth in the past. If you want to compare them to that team. Uh, a few years ago that had you know the three first round picks with Fegley, Bayshore and, and, and Arnett. Um this team has, has more depth than that team had. 
You know, it, it, especially on the mound, that's where it really stands out. Um, they've got various pieces to help them get to the back of the bullpen. Um, you know, Scott Efros has been really good. I saw him against Louisville, and, and you know, just a lot of life on the, on the fastball, and he commanded it. Um, you know, and Ryan Halstead back there at the back of the bullpen is is a nice veteran closer. Um, and they and they've got a solid rotation too. I mean, it's three guys that they trust. So I just think they're a really complete team. I think they're in really good shape. You know, on on track to host a regional. I I feel like between Notre Dame, Indiana, Louisville, and Kentucky, you've got four regional host caliber teams in those two states. And obviously, they're not all going to host. Um, I, I would put Lu- that is really yeah, crazy, is crazy to think about from a geography standpoint there. Yeah, and, and I would think that Notre Dame is probably now fourth in that pecking order after getting swept by Louisville. Um, you could see I – mean, I could see Louisville and Kentucky both hosting and Indiana, though. I mean, it's, you know, it seems, that seems nuts to have three in that same kind of geographic region within three hours of each other. But, you know, why not? I mean, Texas – the state of Texas is down. You might be looking at only, only one in Texas with Rice. Um, you know, there's – the state of Florida is down. I mean, besides Florida State – who's going to host in that state. Um, so yeah. maybe there's more regionals going around elsewhere. That's kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> really is kind of crazy to think about. And I just, I want to throw out real quick for Tracy Smith here, maybe try to put him in a little bit of perspective as far as uh, coaches go. Cause this is not a guy that we usually talk about among the great coaches in the country and in that region of the country, you know, deservedly. So I think you start with Scott Strickland because of taking Kent state to Omaha and Doug Schreiber, the job he did at Purdue, finally getting over that hump last year, getting them in the regional for the first time since 1907, hosting a regional. And a lot of great, you know, Big Ten, MAC coaches. Here's a guy who's been in both those leagues, but uh, got close to a 600 winning percentage in his time at Miami. And Indiana, I think there was a lot of work to do at Indiana. I mean, no disrespect mm-hmm. to Bob Morgan, who preceded him there and won a thousand games, basically won a thousand games against a, 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 a not a good schedule. And I don't know that Indiana – I don't know when the last time they won the Big the Big Ten was before Tracy Smith got there. But uh, built it up to that 2009 team, his fourth season there, where they stumbled out of the gates but finished strong, won the Big Ten, went to regionals, had a first-round pick and a supplemental first-rounder. Um, you know, they built the ballpark there. feels like Tracy Smith, you, know, you look at what he did at Miami, there are a decent amount of Miami of Ohio jokers in the big leagues that he coached, the John Elis and – Guys like a Chad Reinecke or Justin Knadler, guys who made the big leagues that he coached there. Um, and now it feels like Indiana that he's produced some, uh, producing some prospects there and, and winning games. Just feels like a guy who's a classic coaching grinder who's really starting to see the fruits of, uh, of all that labor uh, with this year's team. And I'll tell you what, if you would have known that it would take them uh, this this long to get this new ballpark going. I wonder if he would have gone to Indiana in the first place because mm. their old park was not adequate. <laughs> you know, I, I I went over there. You know, like Ben Ben Greenspan, one of their assistants, uh, was kind enough to you know spend some time with me on Tuesday night, one of those off days while I was waiting out the snow. And uh, you know, he kind of took me around campus. And one of the places we stopped was the uh, the uh, the old ballpark, Sembauer. And and my God, John, I mean, it's it's you know, you've got a you've got a an incline behind the infield. You know, it's like a giant dip. Are you um, kidding? The old park. I mean, it's bad. The old park. I mean, the the playing surface was atrocious. Obviously, it's not. You know, the, they're not maintaining it right now because they're not playing on it. But I mean, just the it's just so incredibly uneven. Uh, I mean, it, the whole park. I mean, it was it was not 
not good. I mean, it's amazing that they had the kind of success that they had at that park. Um, but, uh, you know, this thing was a long time coming. Um, they thought they were going to get a lot earlier. They had broken ground originally several years before, and then the project got kind of shelved, and, and you know, now, now they finally did it again, and now they got it going. I mean, those guys do a great job. Um, recruiting nationally, we, we know, of course, that they've had success getting players out of San Diego, you know, from Alex Dickerson and now Joey Donato, and they've had others along the way. Um, they get players, obviously, out of their own state, um, and, and, you know, they develop talent. And, I mean, and one Halstead, thing I, I, Halstead right now, their closer is a uh, Rancho Cucamonga guy, right? Another one. There you go. I mean, they, they do, they're not afraid to go out there, and, and they say it's surprising when you get kids in, from the West Coast to Bloomington and they experience this kind of real college town kind of atmosphere and the enthusiasm of the fans out there. It's, it's not, it's not as hard of a sell as you'd think. Um, but I, I like the way that they, they approach that. I mean, they say they, they like to rec- they don't recruit a player who doesn't have at least one major league caliber tool. That's, that's their approach. I mean, they, they believe in, in tools. Tracy has, has a scouting background. Um, and you know, he, he kind of takes that, that, approach with his recruiting and it works for them i mean all their guys can do stuff you know they that that makes them a, i think it makes them a very exciting team to watch well yeah i mean you saw them uh, up close and personal so i mean uh you know it was only one game obviously but it's, uh, they yep. gave you a good look which is uh always better than uh than not giving you a good look you know so as uh <laughs> as dan mcdonald uh can attest he preferred he preferred for his team to have given you a good look and when they didn't uh that was unfortunate for them uh, it's the Baseball America College Podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, another Twitter question. We've got a, a good response on, on Twitter today, so people, you know, you guys can keep it up for next week. He's at Aaron Sit. I'm at John Manuel BA. You can always email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. But Ryan Combs asked a broad question, seeing as how, Aaron, you've seen so many different teams all over the country, really, this year in different conferences, um, you know, from the coast to Houston to now you're going to come up here today and uh, see – North Carolina and Clemson, uh, and all over the Midwest now. Uh, broad question: What do you think about the quality of umpiring? He was specifically talking mm-hmm. about the Virginia Miami uh, series this weekend that he thought was uh, NG. Um, you know, yesterday I'm thinking about this with the uh, Louisville's on my on my mind. I watched the end of the Baylor Louisville women's basketball game. I can't believe I'm saying that, but but I did. Wow, I did watch that. I watched the end of Brittany Griner's college basketball career. But that was an incredibly, and I just think in general, college basketball uh, is incredibly physical and poorly officiated. And I think the experts in that field have said that. I'm not making that up on my own. I'm reading Jay Billis and all these kind of things. I don't know that I feel like college baseball officiating or umpiring affects the game as much as it does at the basketball level. But in general, you know, Aaron, over the course of your career and mine, it feels like college baseball. I don't feel like college baseball umpiring has gotten worse or better over the last few years. Right. I just feel like it's always, you know, modest to bad. It's yeah. rare that it stands out for how good it is. Um, but in general, it's, you know, it's, it's they're amateur players and it's amateur level umpiring. And I don't feel like it's any worse or any better in 2013 than it was in 1997. Do you feel it's any worse or any better than it was from 2005, the first year you were covering college baseball for us? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, and look, I mean, when umpires are doing a good job, nobody's going to notice. And in fact, when they're doing a good job, half the time they're still going to get yelled at by the fans because anytime they make a call, it goes against your team. You got to heckle them. I mean, that's I hate it. that mentality, but that's what that's how it is. And that's the most thankless job in the world. Because uh, even when you're doing it right, 
you're doing it wrong in the eyes of half the people in the stadium or more than half, you know? I mean, um, so I, I, I think empires get a, an unfair um, rap, you know, and, and, and I, I get tired of the constant heckling at ballpark. I get tired of it. Just let it go. For God's sake, watch the game. If it's a really egregious call, I can see getting upset. But every time a ball's called outside and you're saying, come on, Blue, you know, wake up, give me a, give me a break. Enough of that garbage. Just watch the game. Just watch the game. I'm, I'm so with you. I love, I love it. I love how you said it. But I, when you really think about it, it just gets – that is the way that some people watch a baseball game. They can't watch a baseball game without complaining about the umpires. And I'm just, I've never been that guy. I wasn't that guy before I became a sports writer. I just, you know uh, – I actually, you know, I saw a great tweet about this the other day from uh, Jeff Bradley, formerly of uh, ESPN and the MAG, now uh, – working for MLS, uh, you know, and Jeff played at North Carolina. He was Walt Weiss's roommate and uh, became a sports writer. His brother is Jeff Bra- uh, Scott Bradley, who's the head coach at Princeton and was a big leaguer. So Jeff knows what he's talking about. You know, his other brother is the uh, coach of uh, Egypt's uh, national soccer team. So he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to officiating and what coaches think of it and what managers think of it. And he talks about how a sports writing mentor told him that you become a sports writer when you forget how hard the game is. And he always thought that was ridiculous. He always thought that was wrong. It was actually something that he took uh, the opposite of what his mentor intended. And I think I, I do think that people just don't realize how hard it is to be an umpire. And if you think about how hard it is to be an umpire and how hard it is to play the game at that level, you view it differently as a spectator and you scream less and you ride players less, and you ride umpires less. And that would just be my advice, whether it's a parent or a fan, is just to remember how hard, how much easier it is to be a fan than it is to officiate or play. And if you try to keep that in mind, I think that makes you a better fan and a better spectator. That's my yeah. opinion, uh, but that's what you're here for on the Baseball America podcast. And I'm, I'm with you, Aaron. I just think, uh, I think officiating isn't good, but, I mean, it's also really, really hard. And uh, it's, you, you, you pay your money. You certainly have your the right to uh, act a fool and take out your frustration on uh, officials. And I have the right to think you're a fool for doing it. And I have a right to think less of right. you for doing it. And that's that's how I am about it. So I just shot. think I just think that I just think that you know the the best fans are the ones who are really loud and vocal in a supportive way of their own team. And, and yes, you know, I understand there's going to be blown calls, and it's fine to get on the umpires when that happens. But if you're doing it the entire game, then you're just a heckler who cried wolf. You know, it loses all meaning. Um, and, and, and I think, um, you know, I, I think that there's very few games that are actually determined by the umpiring. I mean, thinking back, there's been a handful of games where I thought, wow, this team really got jobbed um, and, and, you know, it cost them their season. I mean, it, there, there's been a handful of games, you know, in nine years or whatever for me, eight years uh, doing this, that, that that's been the case. There's not many. Aaron, uh, uh, good, well, we've got a little sidetrack, but I think it's a, a worthwhile discussion. We've got a couple other Twitter questions, so we're going to – it's a shorter podcast. Really. Let's just take a few Twitter questions here, Aaron, and, uh, and hit on those. Um Question from Colin Parker: Can the Big South be a multi-bid league, Aaron? We don't have any Big South teams no. in our rankings right now, and this is perennially, with rare exceptions, a one-bid league. There have been a couple times, maybe 10, 12 years ago, where maybe you had a Coastal and a Winthrop um, that both got in. 
But right now, you know, Coastal has been the dominant team in this league for a long time. And yet the, the Shauna Clears are struggling, just 15 and 12 overall. Um, the, the team that's really running away with things from an overall record standpoint is Campbell. Uh, but the Camels, uh, you know, only 6-3 and three, uh, in the league. They just lost a series at home to Radford this weekend. Uh, Colin's question, can the Big South be a multi-bid league? Just eyeballing it, uh, I would say no. What's, what's your take there? No, I, I don't think so. No way. I mean, even Campbell... Um, you know they're 23 and five, and and they just haven't played a good schedule. I mean, I, I like Campbell. I like the way they play. Uh, I like their speed, their up tempo approach. But you know they they just haven't played a good schedule. I mean that's that's it. You can't take that seriously right now. Um, you know and 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 um, Presbyterian I guess has the best RPI in this league, but that's not going to hold up. I don't think right now it's 38 uh, according to Warren Nolan. And and I just you know I think that's going to drop and it's going to be a one bid league that that's that's just the bottom line. It really would be stunning for Presbyterian <laughs> to uh, to get an at large bid, and it's also very strange to see how that. Uh, I mean, I, obviously they played Florida State a couple times, and that's where the boost is coming in their uh, in their RPI because they've played North Carolina North Carolina Central, Savannah State, and New Jersey Tech. I don't quite see how their RPI is that high, but uh, hoochie mama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't see it either. But uh, definitely appreciate the question from Colin. And then Mike Green, who is at Jay's Fan Toronto, asks, he's read varying reports on Chris Anderson's stuff. How will we grade each of his pitches and command? First off, Mike, we're not at scouts, but uh, we, you know, we could talk. We've talked to scouts about that. And I just talked to a scout the other day, Aaron, at the NHSI, when I asked him about, you know, guys who've moved up nationally in the in the uh, draft, you know, it's, it's all stuff that we've talked about. Jonathan Gray for Oklahoma, um, you know, the, the season Mark Capella's had kind of cementing himself at the front of this uh, personal cheese ball. Hunter Renfro, while his team is struggling at Mississippi State, you know, really Hunter Renfro is probably really one of the few hitters uh, who you can really say has really helped his draft stock. But Chris Anderson, he mentioned as one of the guys who's improved his draft stock. You've written about him this year. You've talked to scouts and coaches about him. Uh, what are you hearing about Chris Anderson, the right-hander in Jacksonville? Well, he's got serious buzz for sure. I mean, he's he's moved himself into that kind of um, first-round category, really. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's 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 a big-bodied guy that has figured out how to pitch, and he'll show you that premium velocity, that mid-90s fastball. Um, you know, and and the secondary stuff has come a long way. I mean, he's he's really. Um, you know, he's he's really made progress. And when he was on the map last year in the Cape, he showed decent stuff. But, I mean, his stuff is taking a jump. I mean, um, you know, it'll be 90-96. You know, it'll, it, he's got the uh, the makings of, of, of a, you know, a pretty good breaking ball. Um, you know, he, he's developed a pretty good changeup. You know, that's been kind of the key, one of the keys for him is that he didn't really have that as much in the past. Um, he locates a, a curveball and a slider, um, but the, the slider is really more of the out pitch for him. You know, that's that's the swing and miss pitch. So he's a four-pitch guy, a great body. I mean, I, I think he's he sure looks like a first-round pick. But then again, he got knocked around this weekend. So, um, you know, I didn't get a report on him after this weekend. But the, the reports that we've gotten on his stuff have been pretty positive. Right. Yeah, you know, I will say Mercer, A, Mercer is a good program. Yep. Very solid program, um, just a good athletic program, and uh, you know they hit. That team hits. He gave up uh, either three or four home runs. It looks like it's uh, he gave up three of the home runs 
Uh, Mercer hit four in the game. Uh, you know, he gave up three home runs. He also had ten strikeouts and no walks. So it sounds like he had it's good a weird stuff. Weird line. <laughs> pardon, pardon me. It's a it's a weird line. It's a very weird line. He gave up a lot of hits. Uh, Eleven hits in six innings. Nine runs. Uh, three home runs, and then he got he had no walks and ten strikeouts. So um, I think he's I think he's pretty good. And you know, Mike also asked, should GMs consider the weaker conference? He plays them when evaluating him. Obviously, you do, but that weaker conference also produced Chris Sale. That weaker conference, yep. uh, it, to me, isn't that weak of a conference here. And I mean, I, I think the Atlantic Sun's pretty solid over the years. That the membership has changed. Um, you know, I think people know. I think scouts know what they're getting out of that league. I mean, Rex Brothers was out of that league, and he got to the big leagues pretty quick. Stetson yep. has had yep. big leaguers out of that uh, out of that conference. Kennesaw's had high draft picks out of that conference, and I just talked about Chris Sale. I don't think of the Atlantic Sun as weak. I think of it as a middle-of-the-road right. conference. And you know what else is, is they played a good non-conference schedule. I mean, he, he beat TCU. He beat Central Florida. He beat East Carolina. And, and I know you're down on – we're all down on, on Conference USA a little bit. But there's still, I mean, he, he got the better of uh, Ben Lively and Jeff Hoffman. I mean, those are pretty good pitchers to beat. Um, you know, and he, he's, he's – they've challenged themselves with their schedule, and he's he's been the bright spot for them. They lost all those three of those series, but they won the game that he pitched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, good questions on the podcast today. Uh, again, we encourage people to hit us up on those, but this week probably the one that we've been most active in answering questions here and uh, just the way things worked out. A um, couple of quick things as we wrap up the podcast here and that I did want to hit on. Uh, Virginia. Uh, let's, uh, Virginia, let's, let's, let's talk about the, 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 the Cavaliers. Um this is a team that was not ranked in the preseason top 25, a team that we talked about last year in the preseason top 25 and left them out and kind of see how they build up. And it was really a, a bridge year, to use the new sports term, for Virginia. They were good enough to go to regionals, but really not a team that was ever really a threat to go to Omaha or really even host a regional. That kind of that ship sailed by about this time last year. Right now, Virginia is 25-3, well, and three, and while they did have a weaker stretch of non-conference, they uh, won the, that series at East Carolina to start the year, uh, which, of course, looked better at the time. But they've won all three of their ACC series, including a sweep of NC State, won a series at Clemson. Uh, three of the four have been at home, but pretty hard to get more impressive than Virginia has been at 25-3. Yeah. and three. And let's not forget, John, they did host a regional last year. I oh, mean, hello. It, it, Sorry. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 well, I mean, but it, you're right. I mean, it felt like a bridge year. At the end of the season, it felt like a regional. <laughs> and, and they still hosted a regional. That's exactly right. I think it's. I mean, it it, it kind of demonstrates that program. I mean, yeah, really when does. you think they're going to be down, Forgive they're, me they're not down. Ignorance. Well, no, I mean, whatever. It's just a, it's 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 a mental a mental lapse. But I mean, it's 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 just amazing to me the consistency of this program. I mean, they're just uh, they and they've done it again this year. You know, they just they're they're really good. They're a good team. We've we've talked about how good their offense is. Um, you know, how explosive they can be, you know, with all those sophomores especially and then the, the seniors, you know, the veteran guys like Reed Gragnani in there and um you know and Jared King and you know it's, it's just a nice blend of experienced guys with younger players that are very talented and um really impressed with Scott Silverstein. You know, this is a guy that has come all the way back from multiple shoulder surgeries. He's had a long, hard road, um, and he's 5-0 and now, and he's pitching better and better for them as they go along. I mean, he's gotten a lot better. You've got to give him a lot of credit. He has, never, he has not quit, and he's become a very viable uh, weekend starter for them. 
Yeah, I mean, he's left-handed size. I mean, it's just a – it's really a complete team. I mean, is there a weakness you think other teams could exploit as the year goes on, as ACC teams, uh, you know, uh, attack this team and the year goes on? I mean, their, their schedule's fairly favorable. When I mean, you really look at it, as far as – they do still have four league road series to go uh, at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, at North Carolina, and then this weekend, uh, upcoming at Wake Forest, uh, which is – you know, been scrappy, kind of like where Wake Forest is right now, scrappy but not a great team. Uh, you know, what's your take? I mean, how how many series down the stretch is Virginia going to be favored in? It feels like they're going to be favored in, in most of those series. Yeah, I would say at Wake Forest, um, home against Duke. You know, the others, I mean, they've got three tough road series, I think. I think yeah. at Georgia Tech, I, I think I would – I would still probably favor Georgia Tech in that series. I think at Virginia Tech is not an easy series. And the Hokies um, just took just uh, took two out of three from Florida State this weekend. Yeah, Hokies are tough at home, and they got a really good ball club. I still like their team a lot. Uh, and then at North Carolina to finish up. So it's not an easy schedule. Um, but, you know, they, they've handled their business so far. I mean, at Clemson, home against NC State and Miami, um, you know, and then, of course, in, at home against Maryland to start. Those are four, you know, quality teams. I mean, even Maryland, I think, is, is a decent club this year. Um, and, and, you know, they've, they've, they've taken care of business there. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give Virginia a lot of credit. They're, they're, do they have weaknesses? Yeah. I mean, I, I still think now some of the freshmen on the uh, pitching staff they're leaning on, you know, you never know how freshmen are going to hold up in the second half of the season. We see that all the time with freshmen wearing down. Uh, it's one of my concerns with, with Cal State Fullerton is how will the freshmen hold up. But we're already seeing Brandon, Brandon Waddell hit a little bit of a rough past year. He wasn't as good um, on Friday, um, you know, the last three innings. And, and you know, he, he hasn't been as, as good lately as he was earlier in the season. Aaron, uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast here. Uh, we can go in a couple directions. We have Oregon State losing its first series of the year, dropping from two to six. They lose two out of three at uh, San Diego. Uh, we could go the Florida Atlantic direction. Uh, FAU new to our top 25 for this the first time they're in this season. But there does seem to be a constant churn at the back of the top 25 this year. So, yeah, there does. Um, we, we could talk about that. Or I thought we could touch on Fullerton. I mean, the Titans, I feel like we talked about them some early. But uh, they are number four in our rankings, uh, complete dismantling this weekend of uh, a Pacific, uh, much to uh, Pacific alum uh, Scott Boris's chagrin, I'm sure. Uh, They lost midweek to to Marymount, Fullerton did, but 24-4 and and just unfullerton like 45 runs this weekend in three games. Uh, This is just a kind of a – they seem like a juggernaut to me, Aaron. I mean, they're – they're rolling people in the Big West, and I don't see anybody in the Big West stopping them. No, no, they're they're clearly the class of that conference, and and um, you know, Cal Poly's solid this year. Um, you know, Riverside's been feisty. Irvine um, had been good early and just got swept uh, by Riverside. So I just you know I can't see any any real challenger here for Fullerton. They're they're a very good ball club. Um, the other series that you mentioned I wanted to touch on actually is that Oregon State San Diego series. I mean I think I think Oregon State is going to miss Tyler Smith, you know who's, who's out for a little while here now with an injury. Um, they uh, you know it's just your your veteran shortstop. Um, you replace him with Andy Peterson, who made some errors this weekend that cost him. Um, you know, that's to me is something to watch here going forward. Um, but uh, without that guy, I mean, he's one of their best all-around players. And 
you know, without him for, for the next several weeks, um, how will they hold up? You know, they went down there this weekend and played, I think, a very good offensive San Diego team. That, that's, a, that's an offensive club, and they can score runs, and they did that this weekend against that Oregon State pitching staff, which all of a sudden doesn't look quite as invincible. Um, but, you know, San Diego can have that effect on people. But, you know, San Diego's been up and down this year. It's been a weird season for those guys, too. So um, first little hiccup for the Beavers. Uh, I still believe in the Beavers, obviously. But, um, you know, there's some chinks in the armor showing all of a sudden. And it's the first time, like you said, they just, they just have been so good this year. Um, you know, it's really kind of hard to hard to believe how good that team has, how well that team has played. Um, just on fourth and real quick, Aaron, I mean, are you surprised? I, I'm a little surprised. It sounds like uh, just talking to, again, an evaluator this weekend, it's like Michael Lorenzen has kind of adjusted his swing a little bit. I mean, this guy's having an All-America mm-hmm. year. He's five home runs, yes. hit one at Blair Field. He's got 15 extra base hits, and oh, by the way, eight saves. Uh, this guy really struggled mightily with Team USA last summer, and it like the light has come on a little bit for him offensively. Yeah, it has. He's really made an adjustment, and he's not chasing that breaking ball down as much as he did before. That was really the hit. that was really his bugaboo. Was he's very susceptible uh, to a good slider or a power curveball, um, you know, and 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 I think he's just done a better job with that. He's worked hard in the off season, and um, you know, give him credit. And, and, I, and I think he's going to be a tough call for somebody in the draft. Um, there's there there are teams that, that like him as as a pitcher because it you know it'll be it'll be 94 um, you know that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, but I, I I still have always kind of liked him as an outfielder. Um, I think he's a he's an athletic you know plus defender who can run and uh, if he hits then you got something there. So I mean, he sounds know, we'll, we'll he sounds see. kind of like he's got a chance to be maybe a little bit less toolsy. But maybe better uh, contact if this offensive improvement is uh, to be believed. I mean, he, he, uh, compare maybe a little bit with Drew Stubbs. I know he's not as electric, especially mm-hmm. speed-wise, as Drew Stubbs. But he feels like there's some similarities there to Drew Stubbs. Yeah, I can see that. that that's that's the difference, though. You're right. Is that he's, he doesn't have that electric athleticism that Stubbs had. You're right. Um, but. You're right. Also, that there there's some similarities with the the history of maybe contact issues um, and the overall athleticism. Um, no, that's not that's not bad. It's not a bad comp. Throwing that out, I know I'm throwing that to you out of left field there, but um, you know Drew Stubbs hasn't had the big league career that I think a lot of us hoped he would have or thought he could have. Uh, his tools, I think, uh, outside of the throwing arm, Drew Stubbs' tools greater than Michael Lorenzen's tools, which I think tells you a little bit about how tooled up Drew Stubbs was. As an amateur, it feels like Colby, I mean, like uh, Michael Lorenzen, I'm, I have Kobe gone on the brain with the 50 walkless innings, which is hard for me to fathom. But, uh, but uh, you know, Michael Lorenzen, as far as tools in college baseball, are there a lot of players outside of Hunter Renfro who've got more tools than Michael Lorenzen? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I mean. I mean he's up there with know, Renfro can, for me for most toolsy college position player. You can make a case. For Aaron Judge and Austin Wilson, but you know certainly those guys don't have the performance that matches any of these other guys we're talking about. But yeah. for raw raw tools, you could you could put those guys in that category as well. I and agree. Chris Bryant. I mean, I think Chris Bryant, even though he doesn't have the of the the speed tool those other guys have, he runs good enough, and he's, those other tools are pretty loud. There's so many. There's so many scouts will tell you it's, you're either you're either a, a a slug, you're average, or you're a burner, and everything else doesn't really matter that much. And certainly, yeah. uh, I don't know if I'd say Lorenzen. He's not a burner, so he's probably more of an average. You know, 
he's not a burner, is he? He's more of like a 60 runner, isn't he? At best, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's closer to average than he is burner. So if you really talk about it that way, I could definitely see you putting Chris Bryant. If, if, if it were me right now lining up college position players for the draft, it's Chris Bryant first, and everybody else kind of has to fall in line after him. Maybe so. Bryant, I think DJ Peterson, just because people, everybody loves the bat. Um, and Renfro is very intriguing. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it, it'll be interesting to see the way it shakes out. I don't feel like there's a lot of consensus uh, on, on the position player side. Yeah, it, I, I just think the thing is it's the combination of Bryant's tools, track record, some athleticism, and the fact yeah. that he has, he may not be as good of a pure hitter maybe as, as Peterson is, but in every other way, he's better. Uh, Colin Moran has a lot of those things going for him, but he just hasn't quite done it this year, not explosively with the power like Bryant and Peterson. And, uh, you know, Bryant's just consistency, track record, his tools package overall compares, you know, well with Renfro's, Renfro's tools here, but, you know, Bryant's certainly more polished. I just think he has a little bit of what everybody else has, but he has more than everybody else. To me, he's the, he's the one college position player. On, for me, I think he has the best combination of all those things. But we'll talk I'm about that more as the year goes on, Fitzy. Sounds good, John. All right. Uh, Aaron's got to drive up here. We've got to do the Google Plus Hangout. Uh, plenty more to come at BaseballAmerica.com today. So we'll wrap up the podcast early for Aaron. I'm John. We'll see you next week on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.